to On The Mic Podcast. This is your host, Tim Drake. On today's episode, I have comedy writer and filmmaker, Joel Levinson. Joel is part of the comedy production duo, The Levinson Brothers, with himself and his brother, Stephen Levinson, who's a writer on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. I had Joel on the show tonight to talk about their new movie, Boy Band, The Heartthrob Story, that they're doing a Kickstarter for right now, and uh, they're getting close to their goal. Um, it was great talking with Joel. You know, I talked to him a lot about, you know, kind of how the film came about, um, kind of how, you know, he and Stephen came up with the idea of some of their upbringing, uh, working in uh, working in comedy um, and, their, and their musical inspirations. I first found out about this film actually through one of our previous guests, uh, Rob Cutner, who was on our live uh, San Diego Comic-Con show. Uh, Rob, Rob's actually made a lot of projects with the Levinsons, and I saw Rob post about this film that they were doing and thought it was just absolutely hilarious so I reached out to Stephen uh, to see you know if we'd be able to talk with him about the uh, about the show unfortunately Stephen couldn't make it on the episode but it was so much fun talking with Joel and kind of learning about it so the film uh, like I said it's called Boy Band the Heartthrob Story it's a story about an aging boy band 17 years later that's now older fatter balder and less boyish and uh, you know, go, going through the uh, going through the, the emotions of, uh, of trying to still be a relevant boy band in 2016, you know, 17 years after their career kind of had their hit. So it's, it's an absolutely hilarious concept. I, I was so excited when I read about this. Uh, the cast that they have put together is incredible on this too. Uh, Steve Agee, of course, from New Girl and Guardians of the Galaxy 2 coming up here. Uh, Jordan Carlos, uh, you guys probably best know him from The Nightly Show. Uh, Seth Herzog, who he, he's done warm-up for Fallon. Uh, he, he does, uh, he's been a, been a writer on The Tonight Show. You also see him in a lot of the sketches. And of course, Seth's a, a former guest of the podcast. He was on, I want to say it was episode 10 of the podcast when we were talking to him about Duck Quack's Don't Echo, uh, the show that he did on Nat Geo with Mike. Ian Black and, and Tom Papa and uh, and then of course Dave Hill if you don't know Dave Hill he's an amazing comic you've probably seen him on At Midnight most recently but yeah I mean between Steve Agee Jordan Carlos Seth Herzog and Dave Hill this cast is just phenomenal it is going to be absolutely hilarious they just have four days left on the Kickstarter and uh, they only have a thousand dollars to go to finish uh, to finish funding this Kickstarter a lot of great prizes that Joel talks about in this episode and of course we will have all of the links to that available on on the mikepodcast.com so you can follow on there so and make sure that you make sure you go in and donate i mean you can even just donate a buck you know kick, kick them a buck to help finish uh, funding this incredible film uh it, it's going to be amazing i again uh, I, I i'm just i'm giddy about this film i like good comedy and especially something that satirizes something that was so much of my childhood so i'm, I'm very excited for this get on there donate help these guys finish making this film uh, they start production in just a month here so you know, it, it, it gets tight when it's, <laughs> when it's in those final few days on a Kickstarter campaign. So get in there, donate, help them raise the money to make this awesome film. So, and of course, you guys can follow them on the social media links that we'll have up on the site as well. So go go check that out. Uh, again, thank you so much, Joe Levinson, uh, for taking the time to, uh, to talk with me about the film. Uh, again, go on the website, donate to, donate to the Kickstarter, you know, help them raise the final funds here. Enjoy this episode with Joe Levinson. Yeah, not, not a problem. I was excited when I saw the uh, when I saw the premise of the film. I saw uh, Rob Cutner uh, post about it on Facebook, and and I immediately was like, "Wait, what? A, a film about a boy band?" And I had to I had to read more, and I just died laughing when I read the entire premise and what you guys were putting together. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, we're really excited about it. 
Yeah, it's I I I grew up in during that time of like the big boy band craze. So I mean, it it oddly enough is a big part of my life. To to the fact that when I was in in uh, in high school, I thought I too could be in a boy band, and realized very quickly that that was not going to happen. <laughs> it's been so interesting to me that so I was born in 1980, so I was like 18 when In Sync and and Backstreet Boys were starting to explode, and you know when I was younger, it was the new period. But, like, I'm, as I was talking about this movie, a extraordinary number of dudes who grew up in my age range have been telling me that they tried to form a boy band in their garage. Which is just funny. Because you picture these, like, everybody, you know, in the 70s, you were growing up trying to form a punk band. And, and then in the 90s, we were looking around and we were like, well, who's, who's got to be the best? Yeah. <laughs> the answer was the boy band. <laughs> you can be like okay we barely need to play guitar and we can still be in a band but boy band is even less we don't even have to be able to sing or play an instrument all we have to do is be able to stand there uh, (laughs) and we can can be you know international superstars Um, so yeah yeah that's certainly part of my childhood too so it's it's funny because I I went in a weird arc because I I was born in 84 so so I'm not too much younger than you but I I had started into kind of like the punk band uh, wave of things where I, I was obsessed with silver chair when I was in like seventh grade <laughs> and, and was kind of going through the, the punk and the grunge, the grunge phase. But no, nobody, nobody in Utah of all places was going to jump in on that. I mean, we had the Osmonds, So boy band type stuff was, was all the rage out, out here. <laughs> and, and so that was just the next option. I realized, you know, girls really liked it if you could sing. So that was, that was my main reason of going for it as I was just like, well, the ladies like it. But yeah, it, it it was that you know yeah not not punk and nobody wanted to hear it. <laughs> yeah, we did. You know, I had a friend. You know, this is like basement band stuff when I was a kid and, and recording on a four track and that kind of thing. But I had a couple songs that I wrote uh, just as a young kid, so, you know, fifteen, sixteen, that were total boy band songs, um, but that I played as sort of punk songs, and I. <laughs> But the lyrics were all, um, I don't know how to describe boy band lyrics. I thought they were hilarious. I mean, I've been writing musical comedy the whole time, but uh, I was like, yeah, this would be a really funny combination, just singing like, hey girl, come on, me and you, girl, uh, and then singing it to a, <laughs> singing it to a punk song. So I, I want to say it was Fearless Records. They've always done those, those uh, punk goes CDs. And uh, they, when they did the punk goes pop, and they did that same thing with hearing some of like the Backstreet Boys and In Sync, you know, oh, cool. done by punk bands, and it, it made me laugh so hard to hear it. So I, I love hearing that you know you were doing that before anybody else was doing it. <laughs> yeah, but no, that's not very well. Apparently. Not very well. <laughs> so now, now you and Stephen uh, grew up in o- in Ohio, and and that's that's still where you currently reside. You know, grow, growing. Right. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, growing up, you know, as you were doing that even when you were, you know, a, a young kid, you know, starting to kind of write those songs, was was comedy and filmmaking, you know, kind of always in, in the forefront as well? Or was, you know, music music the priority then? I guess the best way to say it is, uh, is that I didn't understand. I, you know, growing up in Ohio, um, you, there was no concept that film is a thing you could make a living doing. Um Oh, no, that wasn't an option. But, but then, you know, I went, I lived in Los Angeles for a decade. 
decade or a dozen years or something. And when I was there, I started to meet a lot of kids who grew up, besides the people who just go out there because they want to go make it as a star, I met a lot of kids who grew up in film industry families. And once you start meeting that, you're like, oh, yeah, there's a very practical way that you can go about making a living and being a, you know, being a professional success in these businesses. And it doesn't mean that you're Tom Cruise. It means there's a gazillion other jobs there and you can make a living directing movies. So then the things that I've been doing for fun for a long time, and that Stephen and I have been doing, you know, writing sketches, doing little video comedy stuff. And then we started to realize, oh, you know, maybe there is a, if we take this seriously, there's a way to make a living out of it and get to do the thing that we love. Uh, and not have to be an accountant or whatever it is. Not that I'm qualified to be an accountant. I don't know why that's <laughs> Not very good with numbers, but you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. No, that's... I mean, it, it was that same realization for myself. I mean, it was never looked at as a practical career that you could make a living on. And it wasn't until I was in my, my mid-20s going to business school and I wanted to just smash my face into the wall on a daily basis when I realized, wait, I could actually be making making money doing film and comedy and, and radio. Like, I, it, it was never something that was there. And, and, and it's kind of crazy when you start to see it, you know, pick up. And now you guys have a successful career, you know, doing this. Yeah, it's, it's lovely. And, you know, when you talk about the music, I'm, I mean, I thought for a long time I was going to be a musician doing comedy. That was, you know, my dream was to, when I was, when I was 20, my dream was to be Frank Zappa, doing music that you couldn't really tell if it was comedy or music or yeah. somewhere in between. And, and, uh, and I think that's part of that is just because I didn't know anybody who made a living out of comedy, but I did know people who made a living out of music. Uh, but, but what I wanted to do was comedy, so that was the sort of way to make the two things seem like a viable option. Um, and also then I found out that my, my voice is not very good for singing actual music. Uh, but it's excellent for singing comedy, so that's that's a push things in that direction. So now, now you you mentioned Zappa. I mean, were there were there some of the other influences as well? I know we just had Mike Furman on uh, actually last week, and uh, and he had talked about how Weird Al was such a big uh, oh, a big sure. thing for him. Yeah, we grew, we grew up loving Weird Al and listening to Stan Freeberg every night to go to sleep, and and uh, that sort of storytelling plus song. Um, and I was a big fan of musicals growing up and all that stuff. And and, and uh, certainly th- then into, like, yeah, into Adam Sandler stuff I loved and Eric Idle music comedy and all that stuff. Uh, and Steve, you know, Stephen and I both. Um, yeah, I think that's just, I think it's wonderful. Great music comedy makes me happy. Yeah, those those early Sandler records, those, those were the soundtrack to much of my, much of my teenage angst. <laughs> Yeah, like huddled together with other, like listening to you know piece of shit car and just yeah. uh, just losing your mind over it. Yeah, and and then not only that, but the first time you hear it, there's this moment when I don't know if kids are still doing it in the same way with comedy albums. Um, maybe they are. I guess YouTube clips serve the same purpose. But there's something about when you got a comedy album and you had to take it to somebody else's house and you had to stick it, you stick the CD and tape it in their car and play them a song or two and just watch them crack up and you had to sort of pass around one piece of time like that and see your friend's reaction as you listen to, you know, the the, the David Tell uh, stand-up CD skanks for the memories was like that for me where the first two times you listen to it it's amazing and then you just want to play it for other people and half of the enjoyment is watching another person's face uh, the first time he uh, talks about midget cum or whatever it is he's going to talk about <laughs> no I, I I even remember doing that with uh, with early and living color 
uh, videos. My my parents would would tape them so that they could make sure if there was anything too racy that we weren't going to watch that at such a young age. <laughs> But but I remember yep. when they when they did like the uh, the MC Hammer sketch or the Michael Jackson Am I Black or White? I remember bringing my friends over just so I could show them those, and and hoping that they would get them because I thought they were hilarious. But yeah, I, I remember doing that with yeah. both CDs, tapes, and even video. Yeah, totally. So I, it was it was funny. I was actually on set uh, for an HBO uh, show that's coming up here, and uh, I was in a scene with like Garrett Hetty, and he randomly in between takes started talking about uh, Steve Polychronopolis and I started laughing and I and I quoted the next line and he was just like, wait, you actually know that CD? So, and it was the first time I think, I think I've really heard anybody reference a Sandler album in years. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and then you, I, I, you know, uh, in this, what is it, three years ago now was the first Festival Supreme. Are you familiar with it? With the, uh, yeah, we're actually going the, down the, uh, this year. Oh, that's great. So, yeah, I mean, that was, when I went to see it, there were some people, there were some acts I was very excited to see, but the big one was, you know, the fact that Adam Sandler was doing it, and it's not, it's not because, um, it's not because the jokes that I've heard 3,000 times and that are 20 years old are necessarily going to make me laugh, because that's a hard thing for a joke to do, but it was just so special to be in a crowd of people that all felt, you know, it was a crowd of people who love music comedy, and we're sitting there and singing the songs back like a bunch of Rolling Stones fans would sing at a Stones concert or something, and 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 you just get the sense while Adam Sandler is singing those ridiculous songs that you're like, oh, these are my people. So now all all these years later after that, I mean, you've put out you know, a couple of albums along with Rob Cutner uh, and some singles with Merry Christmas Humans, Season Forgiveness, It's Okay to Do Stuff, and 2776. I mean, how, how did that kind of come about as you guys started doing some of those comedy albums? Uh, well, that just came from, you know, I think the impetus for the first start of those was that Rob and us, you know, we knew Rob and he, um, I, he, I think he likes the music that I write. So when there's just been times when he had an idea for a musical joke and came to me and said, uh, help me tell this musical joke. And we would do it for a little sketch or a video. We did it for, you know, live stage stuff in New York together a long time ago. And then he called me about three weeks before the 40th anniversary of, um, of well, I can't remember, Free to Be You and Me. Is what the actual album is called. All I can remember is our parody of it. So he was like, let's do something that sort of sends up uh, 40 years later what Free to Be You and Me. So in in basically two weeks, we threw together that It's Okay to Do Stuff EP, which was a ton of fun. Yeah. And, um, and, and it was great. It was, it, was a, it was a blast and it was music comedy and it was stuff we aren't getting, jokes we aren't getting to tell elsewhere, um, that, that kind of thing. And then we finished it and we looked around and we were like, well, it was pretty good for three weeks. I wonder what would happen if we actually didn't just uh, schlock it together at the last minute and actually took some time. So that's where sort of 2776 was born, which is this behemoth of a musical comedy charity album uh, dissecting a, a, a musical version of what past, present, and miserable sci-fi future of America, uh, and n- never in my life have I been a part of something that was so fun, and that I'm so proud of, and that so desperately needed an editor, um, but, like, Rob and Steven and I just were having so much fun writing more songs and writing more songs that it got huge and bloated and <laughs> a blast, and we worked with people who we dreamed of working with our whole lives, and, um, and it was just a, you know, it, it, it was just a ridiculous, fun musical experiment. Um, and so this, so, you know, that is, that was like our, a musical comedy path. 
Uh, and then the same sort of next step, which was like, okay, but let's let's try to tighten it up and let's try to get to what are the musical jokes we really want to tell and hone in on something. And I think that's how Steven and I landed on this uh, on this boy band movie, um, which I should say is you know it's the story of a late '90s boy band who were wildly successful and went back in the studio to record their sophomore album and had been in there every day for the past 17 years. So now they're older and fatter and balder and still uh, dressing, singing, and acting like a boy band. And 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 it just gave a, a chance for like multiple kinds of musical comedy. So we have the band songs from the late 90s. Uh, we have the band songs from now as grown-ups. And then we also have just full-stop musical numbers where we switch to a giant operatic stage and have them, you know, have them break into the musical song. So what what was kind of the defining moment where you, you guys came up with the idea and were just like, yeah, this is what we have to make? So... Stephen and I, so I came back to Ohio specifically to make movies um, because we have a, a bit of a weird sense of humor and we figured it would just be easier for us to make movies here. That, uh, we're going to have a hard time having people buy into our sense of humor based on the reactions we got to our script. You know, and Stephen's a monologue writer for uh, Jimmy Fallon, and so it's, it, I think we have a good sense of what we're creating is funny, but, but our stuff gets a little weird, and I think it's going into uncharted territory sometimes. So we were like, okay, we'll come back here. And we, so we wrote a movie that is about, called The Flotnik Conundrum, and it's the story of a year in the life of a synagogue, uh, and when kids are going to a bar mitzvah every other week. And uh, and it, we, we, we were like, this would be great. It's, we're writing something cheap, we can film it at the synagogue where we grew up, blah, blah, blah. And then we took it to some producers, and we looked down the budget, we realized it was a million-dollar movie. So we said, okay, well, we'll better start better start with something a little smaller. So, the, you know, so I have a, I, here in Yellow Springs, Ohio, I have an office and a recording studio. And I looked around and I said, well, this is a free place to make a movie. Um, so what's, what's the movie that gets me um, in the recording studio for uh, for 24 hours to tell a story? And this is, this is the one we landed on because it's just, you know, I came up with the idea and I pitched it to Steven and he just cracked up because... If all else fails, you get to at least look at a bunch of old, fat guys in their 40s uh, who are dressed like a boy band for, for 90 minutes. And I think that's a pretty solid comedy place to start. Yeah, like I said, I mean, the, the, the moment, too, that I, I had read what the premise was, I, I was hooked on it and was just like, yes, this has to be, this has to be a thing. And, and then I saw the cast that you guys managed to put together as the boy band. Uh, with with Steve Agee from New Girl, and of course Guardians of the Galaxy two coming up, and Jordan Carlos from The Nightly Show, Seth Herzog, who's also you know part of Fallon, and and Dave Hill, and I was just like, this could not be a better cast to portray a boy band seventeen years later. Thank you. Yes, we are. We're ecstatic. I mean, it's just first of all, they're all hilarious guys in their own right. But then also, I think when you see their faces together, and I'm so excited to get them in the room and get, get filming, um, because I think they all are such unique personalities uh, in the way that you want a boy band to be. So, yeah, I think they'll look lovely. We get to, we're going to get to frost Steve Agee's tips. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which I think everybody on Earth is excited about. Um and yeah, and then so there, and there's a boy band cast, and then we have some other, you know, really to make a, our goal was to make uh, a broad original comedy on an uh, on an indie film budget, but not, you know, nobody gets cancer, nobody survives the 
a terrorist attack or loses a family member uh, overseas. It's just like a, it's just a straight ahead ridiculous comedy that we're trying to make as an indie movie. Um, and um, and so the rest of the cast, Esther Two is in it as the lead singer's wife. Uh, Julie Goldman is a pizza delivery woman who stays uh, and then helps them craft the album. And then uh, the the studio engineer is is Dave Bruber Allen, who I think is just absurdly beloved by comedy people, at least like myself and, and you know the people yeah. who I'm hanging out with. So, so yeah, yeah we're, we're we're really pumped about that cast. So now now now, are you guys going to have any trouble with uh, Seth Herzog keeping his pants on for this? So. <laughs> oh. Oh, I think we specifically will write Seth Herzog's pantless into at least. At least it, 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 it has to be. It's it's just part of who Seth is. <laughs> totally. We'll get him some short shorts and, and put the <laughs> Seth was one of our very, very early guests when I was just starting to kind of figure out the whole podcast forum. And I had told Seth at the time, I was like, of all the times I've seen you, I think I've seen you more times with your pants off than on. And it, <laughs> it it made for an, for an awkward an awkward early relationship. <laughs> oh, good, good. <laughs> so so now, how soon do you guys plan to start production on this? I know you know the the Kickstarter. You've got four days left on only a thousand dollars left, so that's definitely very achievable in the next four days here. Uh, but but when do you guys Absolutely. start to yeah, uh, yeah. start production? Yeah, so we're hoping that you know. We're, this is the point. The fun thing about this is we raised sort of 85 percent of the money we needed from private investors. We went to Kickstarter for the last piece of the puzzle and to get the community involved and also just give people a chance to know what we're doing and you know pre buy into it. Um, so every dollar we raise from the Kickstarter is great. It just goes to I, you know I think making a better film at this point. It's not whether or not it will get made. It's uh, places to put better lenses on the cameras, to put better makeup on the, on the actors, to put more hilarious costumes on the boy band. Um, but so we start filming in October, uh, and we'll be filming here in Ohio and in and around Dayton, uh, Yellow Springs, uh, Kettering, in, in, in the Dayton, Ohio area. And that's going to be mid-October to the end of October, with hopes to have the movie ready for release by summer 2017. Awesome. So now, are, are you guys looking... You know, going the festival route for for distribution, or with kind of having those backers, is it already going to be something where there is like a distribution deal in place where people will be able to see it in uh, small art house theaters at least to begin? No, there's no distribution deal yet. I think our plan is, you know, we have uh, some people who will. Wait, listen. First, the plan is we have to, we have to make a good enough movie uh, that anybody <laughs> will want to see it. So, let's uh, so predicated on that. Then, yeah, I, I think our goal is. Whatever the case, we want to take it to festivals because I think our cast are people who are beloved in, in that festival kind of scene um, and who have fans uh, around the country who are, you know, uh, really, you know, just re- real big fans who have been following their careers and maybe these are people who often don't get starring roles and don't get the chance to shine like they're going to in this movie. Um, you know, I just don't think Hollywood's writing a lot of movies for uh, Steve A.G. Lead. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I'm excited that we are, um, because I think he deserves it, and I think he's brilliant. So, um, but yeah, we'll try to do festivals, and we will also try to just uh, shortcut that by going to distributors and seeing if they want to take the movie and spend a billion dollars marketing it and send it out in the world. Um, <laughs> whatever the case, we're, you know, we're excited about the chance to share it, whether it's uh, 
screens on theaters or screens in people's homes or uh, direct downloads and however we have to get it in front of people. I think we've, we've got something that will be funny on our hands. So then I, I think it's great. I mean, like you said, you know, Hollywood isn't writing those films now that, you know, give, give people, you know, like, like Steve Agee and Jordan Carlos, Herzog and, and Dave Hill, those type of roles. And I mean, they, they all are from phenomenal actors and, you know, a lot of people that they miss out on some of just the brilliant comedies. I mean, even a uh, Burbiglia's uh, don't think twice, you know, it, it still is in small theaters and it's, I think it's one of the most brilliant films out there right now. But again, it's not one of those that, that Hollywood's making and it's fantastic to see, you know, good independent comedy films, you know, becoming more and more of the forefront of independent cinema. Yeah, I mean, Hello, My Name is Doris is another one. I yeah, that one was great. Which is just, was spectacular. I mean, it was spectacular. Um, so we're trying to do, uh, we're trying to do that on a, a pittance. And <laughs> we'll see if we can execute. We tried to write a movie that could be, that could be great and hilarious and have high production values on a very low budget uh, by taking advantage of some um, musical shortcuts and some great locations that we can get in Dayton, Ohio. And, you know, this is a place, it's a place where we grew up, it's a place where we know people who are passionate about um, entertainment and comedy and film, but also it's a place where rent costs about one-fifth of what it did in Los Angeles. So a lot more people are able to take a project they're passionate about and give up a couple weeks. Um, of vacation time to, to try to make something like this, so so we're 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 pumped. So and that's is is your hometown, you know, being being incredibly receptive with you guys, you know, trying to put Dayton on the map as a as a as a hub kind of now for film. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're wonderful. I mean, Dayton Dayton has got you know has got a tax credit, so there are films that have come into Cincinnati and into Columbus, but that's what they do. They come in and they come in and they film a couple scenes in Dayton and then they abscond. Um, so it's nice that this is just a place where it's like, uh, you know, the, the, our Kickstarter campaign, we just did a video midway through, which was about how we're creating locally sourced farm-to-table comedy. And it's absurd, but I think that's what we're doing. You know, we're trying to make comedy that it's just, it's like, you know, for a bunch of Midwesterners, from a bunch of Midwesterners, and we hope it'll appeal to other people, but it's also, it's hard, just something that we think is funny here and may or may not get made on a coast, so... So I'm incredibly excited to, to see how it all comes together. It's like I said, I'm. It's just an incredible premise. It's an absolutely hilarious premise. Amazing cast. You know, everything I know of of yours and Steven's work has has always been excellent. That's that's of course why I reached out to you guys. I, I had to know more about this, and I've always been a fan of fan of your guys' work. So I mean, definitely keep us in the loop of everything that's going on and anything we can do to help promote it. You know, we definitely want to definitely oh, want to put absolutely. it out there for you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for yeah. Thanks for giving us the chance to talk about it. And I'm just uh, I'm really excited about sharing this uh, silly comedy with the world. So now, before we let you go, um, as, as anybody donates in the last uh, last final days here, what are some of the uh, some of the prizes that you guys have uh, for each one of the tiers? Sure. At the lowest level, if somebody wants to kick in a buck, they can download the uh, out the band, the fictional band's 1998 hit. When I page 911, it means I need you now. <laughs> um, and a little bit higher than that, at the $100 level, if you're anywhere in the area, I, who have no experience giving haircuts, will give you a boy bander haircut. Uh, for tw- you know, for 20 bucks, you're just pre-buying the movie, which is great. It's a chance to know that you'll see the movie and a chance to help give us the money up front so we can put it on the screen. And then uh, I think at the $500 level, we will um, we'll give you an originally bedazzled jean jacket with the band Heartthrobs. Uh, logo on the back of it so uh, that's pretty special 
Uh, it's pretty special. There will not be a lot of those, and uh, you'll be the you'll be the king of your. Well, I, I guess you won't be the king of anything with that jacket, but you'll look on. <laughs> People will think you're you're the king of something with that jacket on. <laughs> well awesome thank you so much joel i really appreciate you taking the time tonight so and uh yeah we'll get, we'll get this out right away to everybody and uh everybody can go to the website on the mikepodcast.com and there'll be the links uh, for everything there and then your guys website is levinsonbrothers.com um that has all of the uh the links there as well um where can everybody find you guys on social media so it would just be uh you know uh, facebook.com slash levinson brothers or uh, Twitter is just Levinson Bros, B-R-O-S, uh, and stuff like that. I think there's a lot of pictures of outlets that we've been taking up on Instagram slash Levinson Brothers if you want to see pictures of the outlets that we think are interesting. Excellent. Well, again, thank you so much, Joel, and everybody get out there and, and donate to their Kickstarter. Four days left and just a 1000 bucks to go. Awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You bet. Have a great rest of your night, Joel.